0: I want you to open and uh, now your copy of scripture to Matthew chapter 6. Um, in my last few sermons with you, I, I want to spend time with you thinking about prayer. And uh, what better place to begin than in this famous passage, the Lord's Prayer. Uh, and so this morning we'll, we'll be looking at Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 15. Listen now, this is God's word. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father Forgive your trespasses. (laughs) Prayer is the heartbeat of a Christian life, a basic sign of life. When the Westminster Catechism asks the question what are the means of grace? uh, What are the means of grace by which Christ communicates to you the benefits of salvation? In other words, what are the ways that you know and experience and enjoy Christ? It gives this it gives a threefold answer. It says God's word, sacraments, and prayer. Prayer is a basic sign of life. And yet it seems to me it's also a place where most of us are in need of regular encouragement And help. There seem to be unending obstacles to a thriving prayer life, and Jesus Himself seems to anticipate this in us. So maybe we become negligent in prayer, preferring other things that seem more productive, or maybe just preferring other distractions in our time, or maybe prayer becomes performative for us, a display of our spirituality, or prayer becomes merely routine. Maybe we expect emotions or experiences in prayer and it seems to fail to deliver. Or, as Jesus shows us here, our prayers can be shaped, can be motivated by false understandings of who God is and of who we are in relation to God. You could probably add your own set of challenges and struggles to this list, but they seem to be endless. But the amazing thing is our Savior anticipates and helps us in our weakness. And so we have this Prayer from from Jesus, one of our most well-known passages from Scripture. Our Savior teaches us and guides us in prayer, and he gives us this model or this pattern for how we are to pray. If you think of uh, a rock climber uh, seeking out good footholds and handholds, scaling a cliff, Christ gives us these handholds in prayer. Christ gives us practical help in, in what we are to pray for and how we are to pray. But more basically, Jesus helps us to see how prayer, uh, how prayer draws us into the love of the Father. Jesus helps us to see how prayer draws us into the hope and, and the realities of his kingdom. And so his prayer, as he gives it to us here, it should stir up our desires to know and enjoy God in prayer. The first thing we find in the the way that Christ teaches us to pray uh, is the basic orientation that he gives us as children coming to a father. Children coming to a Father. I doubt this will strike many of you as new or surprising, and yet notice how Jesus seems to imply that this is precisely where we easily go off the rails in prayer. In the verses before the Lord's Prayer, Jesus gives us these two examples of of prayer uh, misconstrued or of false ways, uh, false paths in prayer. And on the one hand, he says, Don't be like the hypocrites praying to be seen. Jesus gives us this portrait of a hypocrite whose prayers are misdirected, not offered up to God, but offered up for human approval. Praying to be seen by people instead of praying to be heard by the Father. And then his second example, don't be like the Gentiles Keeping up empty phrases. The idea that uh, Jesus confronts here is probably that uh, that God is some kind of reluctant deity who needs to be badgered into paying attention to us. And in Scripture, we have a, a vivid illustration of this in First Kings eighteen, with the competition of between Elijah and the false prophets, the prophets of at Mount Carmel. Each come to Mount Carmel, each laying out their sacrifice and Elijah frames the contest, the God who hears and answers with fire is the true God. And so it says the prophets of Baal call upon him and call upon Baal from morning until noon, heaping up empty words, we could say. uh, Even cutting themselves, attempting to get... They're God's attention. And then what a contrast when Elijah prays simply, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, that I am your servant, that I've done all the things at, at your word. Answer me, O Lord. Answer that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God. And fire falls from heaven. See, Jesus gives us these two false ways into prayer, in prayer. Prayer misdirected for human approval. Prayer that misconstrues who God is. But notice how Jesus corrects both of these ways in, uh, of prayer. First, he responds to the first. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who, who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. So you need to understand fundamentally who your prayers are directed to, this father who sees and knows. And then secondly, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Not a reluctant Deity who needs to be, not even a deity who needs to be informed of your needs, but a father who delights to hear and answer. Jesus is saying both of these false ways uh, become utterly unthinkable when you know God as Father. And so we enter into the prayer itself. And the first two words strike us as profoundly wonderful. Our Father. Our Father. With repetition, I think we lose sight of just how stunning those words are. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus will address God as his own Father, Right, Jesus, the, the Son of God incarnate, has the, the infinite love of, of the Father, the closest of all unities with him. And so in another place in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus will say, no one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son. Jesus has this exclusive relationship with the Father. And yet, The Gospels show us Jesus opening this love and this relationship to you by grace. So in John's Gospel, he he shows us God the Father and God the Son in this amazing and mysterious relationship, uh, sharing love and glory before the foundation of the world. And then in John 17, 26, Jesus tells us, The goal of all his work is that you, that that his disciples would, by grace, share in the very love the Father has for the Son. You you see, Jesus, by virtue of being the eternal Son of God, prays my Father. And as you are joined to him, you also pray, our Father. And not just our Father, but our Father in heaven. That is, we confess confess him to be the almighty God who reigns in heaven. The God who created, who upholds all things, the very one who provides for you whatever you need in body and soul. We confess he is able to do this as Almighty God and that he desires to do this as your gracious, faithful Father. And so this prayer, first of all, gives us this this God-word orientation uh, for our prayers. We come to God as Father, and we know his love and his care in Christ. You see how this already encourages us in prayer. These these other ways of, of using prayer, uh, whether it's for human approval or whether it's to prop up my own sense of self-righteousness or or to badger a reluctant deity to to uh, to use God as a kind of cosmic slot machine. These other ways of pursuing prayer, don't they look worthless in comparison to this? Knowing God as Father. That's the basic orientation this prayer gives us. And then we get this a series of, of petitions, of requests. And they basically come in two parts with with three each. Uh, The first group are focused on God and the coming of his kingdom in Christ. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. These three petitions, they... They belong together. They, they are like different sides of one reality. And so that last line, on, on earth as it is in heaven, it, it ties all of them together. This desire that, that, uh, that God would be worshipped and adored, obeyed and, and followed even as he is in heaven. They express the end, the purpose that God has for history and in his saving work in Jesus. And so that we have this first request, hallowed be your name. It's not a word we use often, it's, but it's related to our word holy, and it means that to, to treat as holy, to, to reverence God's name to worship God who is holy, 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 whose glory fills the earth. And so we recognize, and when we pray this prayer, we recognize that in ourselves, in the world, God is often not worshiped, not adored as holy. And in praying this prayer, we long for the day when the earth will be full of the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, as the waters cover the sea. And then, likewise, we pray for the coming of God's kingdom. This, this is the announcement that that uh, that began Christ's ministry. Look, the kingdom of God is at hand. This is what God has accomplished in Christ, and the fullness of which we are uh, longing and looking for when He comes again. But the the coming of God's kingdom means the coming of God in salvation, in judgment, the the setting uh, the setting right of every injustice, the undoing of all suffering, and above all, it means God with us, and your will be done. That is, even as we pray for the coming of God's kingdom, we pray that creation would would yield up a willing obedience to God as king. We pray that that we would possess in ourselves a, a ready acceptance of God's sovereign purposes. And so we have these three petitions, all longing for the day when earth and heaven will be one. And we have here, I think, a profound starting point for prayer. One of the things we learn here is how praise and prayer or praise and petition flow into one another, are are joined to one another. These requests are all driven by the desire that God's name would be glorified. And on the other hand, uh, these requests teach us that when we bring requests to God, there is an implicit confession that God is the all-sufficient One, the faithful One who is able to answer. Think of it: when we when we pray for governing authorities, we confess that God alone is King we confess that he turns the hearts of rulers as he sees fit. When we pray for healing, we confess and praise praise God that he is our creator who knit us together and who is able to restore. When we pray for encouragement and strength, we confess that God knows our innermost thoughts, that he is able to minister to us through his word and spirit. When we pray for a friend who is far from Christ, We confess God's sovereign ability to bring life into death. Praise and prayer are always linked together in this way. We pray in the desire that God would be praised. And and we praise. uh, uh, and, And praise is in so many ways the undercurrent of all our prayer. And then we come to these next three petitions, and here the prayer has especially to do with our life as Christ's disciples. Give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Jesus in the uh, in this very chapter of Matthew will say therefore I tell you do not be anxious about your life what you will eat or what you will drink or or nor about your body what you will put on it is not life more than food and the body more than clothing so also in this prayer to be a disciple of Christ means to possess this basic trust in God as father to provide Instead of anxiety saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? Uh, We are drawn into this posture of of prayer before our Heavenly Father who knows our needs even before we ask. On the other hand, for those of us who can take for granted stocked shelves at a grocery store, water from the tap, Jesus reorients us. He reminds us every good gift is from our Father above. Jesus draws us back to, to, to childlike dependence. And then, even as Jesus came declaring, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, so also he makes forgiveness a hallmark, a central piece of this life of discipleship and this life of prayer. Uh, Forgiveness received and forgiveness given. Uh, Praise and petition, we said, are closely linked. And now also uh, prayer and uh, confession are linked together for us. And then, uh, teaching us to pray for forgiveness for past sins, Jesus instructs us to, to pray for protection from future sin. Let it lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. What motivates this prayer? Fundamentally, it's a recognition of our spiritual vulnerability, our weakness. That apart from the preserving power of God's spirit, uh, that we, we are unable to, to stand up in temptation, to endure a testing. And Jesus, in the very hour approaching his death, he would say to his disciples closest to him, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. You see? The spirit, he says, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. This is fundamentally what you are drawn into in prayer. The love of God the Father, the hope of Christ's coming kingdom, this dependence as a disciple in Christ's kingdom. The last thing to see is this. You enjoy these realities in prayer because Jesus, in his life and death, lived this kind of loving dependence and obedience to his Father. He was the faithful son, even when tempted and tried, even in want and in need, even in suffering and death. So think of it. He teaches us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. But what do we see in in Jesus? He enters into the wilderness, tested. He enters into testing and temptation. And even... Uh, apparently without daily bread. He does that to save and redeem, and yet in that testing, Jesus entrusted himself wholly to the Father, confessing, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Or likewise, we pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. But Christ endured temptation for us so that he might be the kind of mediator that we need, the perfect and obedient son of God. He endured the temptation uh, in the wilderness and that greater hour of testing, going to the cross. We pray. Your will be done. But you see, uh, we see and know this kind of of perfect submission to God the Father only when we look to Jesus. When we we see him in, in that great and final hour recoiling from the dreadful suffering of the cross and yet praying to his Father, your will be done. Jesus gives us this prayer. He lives this prayer. He draws us into the love of this father. And in teaching us this prayer, he draws us in to a life of discipleship following after him as those who belong in his kingdom. There's a set of words that have typically completed this prayer. They're not found in uh, the earliest and the the best New Testament manuscripts, and yet, and, and so they're probably not original, but they're so fitting for us. They're fitting doxology when we have in view Christ our Savior, Christ who gives us this prayer and who leads us to the love of the Father. And so Christians for ages have taken joy in concluding this prayer. For yours, O God, is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's pray together. Our great God and King, our Heavenly Father, We praise you for Christ our Savior. We praise you for his faithful obedience. For the testing and temptation and suffering that he endured for us. For the perfect obedience that he sets before us. We praise you for the joy and the hope of the kingdom that he brings. We thank you for... The, the life that He gives us, and for this life of prayer that you call and invite and draw us into in Him. Oh Lord, we pray that you would uh, conform us to the image of our Savior through the power of your Word and Spirit. We pray that you would teach us to long for uh, your kingdom and righteousness we pray that you would enable us in our, uh, in our daily life to know and trust you as Father, to look to you for our daily bread, to know that we have all things from your hands. Forgive us, O oh Lord, and teach us to forgive. And then, Lord, we pray that in our weakness and in our continual struggle with sin, that you would not lead us into temptation beyond what we can endure, but that through your spirit you would strengthen us and and keep us uh, so that we might follow and persevere in Christ to the end. Thank you for the love that you draw us into in this prayer, for the hope and the joy. We give all praise to you. In the name of Christ our Savior, we say together, amen.